Gracious good day to you all as well. Welcome once again to Fusebox. And my name is Mark Rose. And again, thank you so much for pushing play on this particular episode. This is show number seven, which we are entitling Oddities. And uh, there's a good reason for that, because uh, this is going to be all the stray bits. Well, you know, things like this and I never really talked about that or this collection of things there's just odds and ends man so we're uh, trying to address a few things that have been piling up over there one of the stray bits just happened and that is that uh, I was on uh, well actually it was a FaceTime call as it turns out with uh, Sam Mowry the uh, voice that will also be a guest I promise on this show very soon has offered his uh, tones to many of our things. Sam is helping me arrange the uh, the audition process for the Vic and Sade reboot. And uh, looks like we may have some folks scheduled for Sunday, which would be the... Uh, Milt? That would be May 14th. Thank you. By the time this show is posted, uh, we'll be doing that. So hopefully for the next show, I'll have some additional information about that. One of the little bits that I wanted to kick around, I wasn't able to contribute to the uh, Overnightscape Central uh, a little while ago when the topic was the Beatles. Although I probably wouldn't have had a whole lot to say about that, uh, I, I did have a one thing that occurred to me the other day that is significant, well, at least it was for me, and that is that in the very early 60s when I was growing up, they were taken over. They certainly were taken over completely. I was never really that enamored with that style musically, and I guess I could appreciate the harmonic content of what they were doing, because even for that kind of music, it was like, well, there's something going on here beyond just, you know, three chords. And by the way, any song that opens with an A11 chord, which is basically the strumming of an open string guitar, uh, that's got to say something. Yeah, A11. That's one of my favorite chords. Uh, It's probably the first chord every beginning guitarist learns because, well, you don't use your hands to fret on the fretboard. You just run a pick across the strings. Well, kind of a sophisticated deal, but here's here's the thing. It wasn't really until a a little later when they started getting into those rather bizarre Eastern-influenced harmonics and strange arrangements. And I think it was probably Revolver and Rubber Soul when they started to kind of do... They were drifting, you know? And speaking of Sam, who uh, 
whose uh, one film fetish is uh, Citizen Kane, which I do believe he has seen more times than Orson did himself. I'm, I'm pretty sure. He, he uh, has seen that hundreds of times, probably. Well, my experience, although not hundreds of times, uh, that is akin to that is the film Let It Be, which was the documentary produced on the Beatles right before they broke up into little pieces that was a very unflinching view of the creative process, really. The, the thing that I found most unique about this is what's happened to that film in the ensuing years. The film that I sat in the theater when it was released and watched umpteen times is not the film that is being shown. Well, it's not being shown. That's the whole point. It's being, you know, you can find it, but what you find in the land of obtainment and those other areas is a very edited version of this film. Sometimes that version even has running time code on it, but that's not the cut. That was not the theatrical print because the theatrical print had some really nasty arguments beyond the ones that are usually quoted and, you know, have all the fluff around them. There were some really, really big, big situations, including one, well, including many, involving Yoko, who really didn't say anything, didn't have to. Just the, the mere presence was enough, evidently, to irritate the entire room. But uh, there were a couple of setups for an interchange that I think Paul and uh, George were having regarding whether or not George should play this particular part or not. And George's remark was rather curt and left, if you don't want me to play, I won't, and that kind of stuff. Well, what you didn't see was the setup for all of this energy that happened right there. And there were several scenes leading up to that particular thing that have been uh, expurgated, or at least in the prints that I've seen since. And so there was talk about releasing this thing two years ago, supposedly restored and unedited and undusted and all that kind of stuff. Well, that didn't happen. It's still sitting someplace, and I don't know why or where or who's influencing what, but the fact is we're not seeing it, and it's still sitting there awaiting somebody's magic finger. Whatever it is, um, I found that fascinating. And uh, for me personally, as what caused me to go to this film so many times is as a, I, I don't know how old I was at the time, but it, the, the point being that I had never seen anybody within the music industry, at least to that point, be so absolutely candid about that process, what it really looked like, what it felt like. Some of the tension in there you could you could cut with a hacksaw. It, it was so obvious, you know. It didn't need a setup or anything. You could feel it. It was palpable. And, uh, and then at the same time, these great performances, you get an inside view of what was about to become Abbey Road. And they're working on these pieces before that album happened. Thankfully, Let It Be was not the swan song. It was Abbey Road that was the swan song. So that was a good sign because uh, many of us, you know, Back in those days, Abbey Road came out first, and then you know, let it be. I'm like, wait, what? Oh, that's awful! You know, oh, what a horrible way to die. So I hope that, in terms of uh, Beatle memorabilia, this particular film uh, comes out again the way it originally was, because I think that's a really interesting experience and and a, and a snapshot into a time that uh, really that that kind of documentary wasn't done yet. 
at least not to musicians, and certainly not to musicians of that stature. That was that would happen later, <laughs> but but uh, pretty impressive. Our colleague Mike Booty made a, a reference to something on his Midnight Citizen show a little while back as well that got me thinking again too. I, I think I've actually made mention of this in the in the first show, but it's it's true. What's great about this process that we're all doing this monologue based thing um, is that it really is archiving a period of space and time, one that we can't really duplicate again. This is happening right now. And, you know, two years, three years from now, we'll look back at that and go, wow, you know, that was my experience back then. And these are the things that I was doing and all of that. And, and it's particularly valuable when you when you involve, well, either locations or you, you're, you're interacting with people or, or just whatever's going on in your life at that moment. It's a very interesting little time capsule. It's the reason to do this in however one does it. I think it's, uh, it's really valuable. And uh, particularly valuable that this stuff is all being archived in the way that it is, because uh, thanks to Frank Nora, <laughs> that's pretty amazing. We we know what's happened to a lot of this stuff. My own show in the past, in particular, when they fade out, they are gone. The I was asked the other day if if any of these shows, the Area Fifty One stuff, exists in its uh, assembled form. I don't think it does, because I, I, I don't have it. I didn't do any of the assembly myself, and so. I just built a lot of the bits and stuff and sent them off to the guys who were uh, stitching it together. And so I don't know that they do. They might in some way, somewhere, but uh, I've never found it. It's not archived to any source that I can, that I can discern. So, so that's what's great about this. It's being archived all over the blooming planet. People got it in little boxes and little thumb drives. and Amazing. So I think that's great. It's things to be thankful for. Riding the subway for the first time, Jim learned a valuable New York lesson. Uh, does anyone here have change for a hundred? Anyone have change for a hundred? Okay. Now, I am going to enact my inalienable right to rant. I just got it. I just, I really do have to address this particular issue because it's driving me crazy. Although I have worked on both PCs and Macs on and off, you know, for years or whatever, but I've mostly been in the Mac world, uh, know that better than probably anything else because I started working on that in the, in the mid-90s, actually, and really found that to be a very friendly domain for the kind of work that I do. So it's not about what's better. It's about, well, this talks to me, I understand it, and that's fine. And I think anybody who has worked with a computer, I don't care what framework it is or what protocol, what OS you're using, you probably can relate to what I'm about to tell you. So this OS called Yosemite, and it came out in October, 
And by the way, these, these OSs started to become a lot more lifestyle-y than they are professional, in my humble opinion. They're all getting kind of morphed into the, to the iOS world, which is fine from certain kinds of functionality. But for, for those of us who actually make a living using this stuff, I think we, we, we need to examine this a little bit. So here's what's going on for me right now. In this desktop unit I use, I have a, a series of cards in there that do nothing but signal processing. That's their entire thing. That way the, the CPU is not doing it. It's relegated to these cards. And these cards are made by a company called Universal Audio. They're a very well-respected company. And I, I got to tell you something. These guys, they rock. They've, they've been creating audio hardware and uh, software for quite a while. The hardware part of it is is historic. It goes back 70 years or so with Bill Putnam. And if you, if you want to know anything about audio and system design and some of the most amazing mastering and mixing ever done in, in the early days of recording, just do a search for Bill Putnam and you will, you'll see this guy's legacy is amazing. Well, anyway, Universal Audio created a series of, well, first hardware devices early on, but later they branched off and uh, I think it's either his son or someone spun the company into a software emulation department while still maintaining their, their hardware division as well. And these cards are pretty sophisticated and they've ha- they have a lot of partners now, a lot of very big name software designers and uh, serious companies like Manly and SSL and Neve. And, you know, if you're in this business, you know what those names are. They're, they're, they're cats. In, in any event, uh, I have this card set, which has been humming along just great for years and, and no problems whatsoever. So here's the story, folks. I updated to Yosemite not thinking at all about whether or not is everything is going to talk, well, particularly the UA stuff, because it just seems to always work, and I never had any issues with it. And uh, the next morning, I come down, and I boot up the mach- machine like usual, and... No cards found. Say that again. No cards found. Say that again. No cards found. No cards found. Okay. Well, that's got to be a permission error or something like that, so I, you know, run a little permissions repair thing and try to clear that up. And what happens? No cards found. Right. So, okay, there must be something really strange going. Let me let me open up the box and see if the cards are seated and, and if everything is right. And what I see is a flashing green light. Flashing green light. Yeah. So, I remove the cards and put them in somewhere else and button the whole thing up again and it reboots and it's okay. Well, so it must have been a seating issue. That's fine. Next day, same problem. Come down. No cards found. But I don't do the receipt thing. Uh, This time, I just try to repair permissions and reboot a couple of times, and that does it. But this goes on for a while, and eventually what's happening is my morning has now become this. Uninstalling, reinstalling, rebooting, installing. And maybe even repairing permissions somewhere in there if it doesn't take after two or three times. No cards found. So, I go on the board and I find 3,400 people... With the same problem. Now, in UA's defense, they said, we're not certifying Yosemite yet with our products yet. Give us some time to test it and then we'll tell you it's okay. Okay, so we're these early adopters like me. You know, all right, we jump in there without thinking and that's what happens. I get it. That's fine. Update came up uh, a few days ago. Guess what? No cards found. That's right. Go back on the boards. Seems like same 3,400 people going, ah! 
And some of them are pretty heavy. So I'm thinking, where's the issue? This seems to be a little software thing to me. Somebody's hand is not shaking somebody's tentacle. That's really what's happening. So we need to kind of figure this out. Somebody needs to. But what we end up with is sort of that Dr. Seuss sign, you know? So, uh, which way out of here? Oh, yes. You definitely go this way. Yes, yes. this would be the way to go. That's right. That's what we get. Total confusion. It's a dilemma. So right now, I'm just leaving the machine on, which is not something I've done of recent date. I used to do this a lot. but So I'm just leaving it on and, you know, put the little screensaver thing on there to keep the screens amused. But other than that, I'm not shutting the thing down unless I have to, because that means this process again. So I don't know what the resolution is here. Uh, I'm sure they're working on it like they always are, but it's not working. This combined with a few other things that's happened, I have to say, if Steve was alive... We always had little glitches with with OSs. There always would be. There's always going to be something that's a little tweaked. But honestly, these things are like, this is pervasive, this kind of stuff. And uh, it doesn't take you out of the game. It just is irritatingly exclusionary. You can only use this much of our toy. (laughs) It's like, all right. Okay, so we learn patience. We have another chapter in learning patience. Like I say, I don't know what the what the solution for this is, but we have no other choice but to hang in there and see what's happening because all of us have complained to them and uh, we all have support tickets in there, which is a little overwhelming to them right now, I am sure. But, uh, you know, we'd love to know what the what the angle is, if it is a just a little handshake thing or whatever, but it would be great to know. And maybe we'll find out sometime. Easy. Timo is a bell ringer at the local cathedral. Mm-hmm. Every day, right on schedule, Timo rings the bell. <laughs> Yet, Timo is more than just a bell ringer. Timo is a great man, born mentally retarded. Timo has conquered his challenges and made a place for himself in the world. Timo has risen above the constraints of his so-called handicap to join an illustrious line of bell ringers. And from now until the day that his hands grow weak, or his strong back bends a little too low, Timo will continue to ring these bells, day in and day out. For you see, Timo... No. No, Timo. Put put me... Put me down. Yes. Put... Put... Put me down now, uh, Timo. Uh, no, 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 no! Oh, not over the. See, that's the edge there. That you don't want me to. No. Timo loves you. So a few years ago, a client called me and asked if I could assist them in creating a vocal booth. 
because they were going to be doing a lot of recording on site and they needed something other than the little space that they had, which wasn't very soundproof. So I said, why sure? And uh, marched my way over to Washington State. And uh, this particular company is a translation service. And they do dozens and dozens and dozens of languages for all kinds of things. And some of that is video and some of that is audio. And so in the process of uh, creating this uh, space for them, uh, I was introduced to a guy by the name of Danny Gosser. And Danny works in the audio department over there, among other things. You know how it is these days. Everybody's got nine hats on. We came to realize that there's a particular genre of film that we both liked way too much. That particular genre, for lack of a better term, is called psychotronic. And those of you who know what that term is are already flash-forwarding into a bunch of films that you probably fondly remember. So I asked Danny a little while ago if he wouldn't mind coming in and, you know, we'll just roll the old digital tape here and uh, just chat about whatever. And the results of that will be on a subsequent program. But in the course of doing that the other day, an anecdote came up that I had completely forgotten about until we got into this particular conversation regarding one H.G. Lewis. And uh, I, I thought that this would be of interest to those who uh, follow that uh, illustrious man's work. <laughs> uh, and even if you don't, it's a funny story. So here's a little piece of that uh, interview with Danny Gosser. Now, you've seen Herschel Gordon Lewis's stuff, right? No. Okay. Well, yeah, you're you're definitely more the the uh, authority there. Well, I have to tell you, and the only reason that I'm an authority at all, because you see, <laughs> I I lived in Florida. You're like I'm an authority. The only reason that I know anything about this at all, when I was growing up, I missed this completely. I didn't know. I I, I think maybe in the Sunday papers when I was growing up, there was that little black and white mention I, in the I movie. Se- you you were you were pushing that. You were like, we need to watch this Herschel Gordon oh, yes. Lewis. It's awful because it, it's back in the fifties, right? Six. 60s. Early 60s. Early 60s. And it's like limbs being chopped off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it sort of reminds me of like Betty Davis. She was in the movie Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. Nelson uh, Aldrich. Yeah, it's Hush yeah. Hush Sweet, Sweet yeah. Charlotte. Yeah. And uh, when you were telling me about it, it just reminded me of that, that he's probably the extreme version of. Yeah, and bad. See, the extreme bad version <laughs> where there's no budget, bad acting. And even worse cinematography. And because of that, it's precious. You have to be actually have to <laughs> totally be in here. So Herschel lived in Florida. Mm. He originally was in, uh, you know, I think it was Chicago. He and, and, and uh, Dave Friedman had this company and were making like, you know, what they used to call nudie cuties back in the day. So they decided at one point, because they were reaching the end of the line, we need to do something to really make a, a statement. What can we do to really somebody paying attention to us. And I don't know which one it was, but uh, perhaps Herschel, who decided that, I know, let's do a gore movie. That hasn't been done ever. <laughs> it really hadn't either. Really, no. Not to this degree. Uh, and in ni- this was released in 1965. The first one came out, was called Blood Feast. Same year, Sound of Music. Thank you. That That's a good context. Julie Andrews. <laughs> Person in the bathtub with no tongue. Excellent. Um, So they got to work on this and, uh, you know, went to Miami and uh, found some folks that were bad community theater players, pretty much, 
and uh, <laughs> hired them to do this thing. And I think they had one Playboy pinup for the mm. year, 1965. Can't remember. It's important. Yes, had her. Bad actor. Uh, but she could <laughs> scream and, you know, didn't take off any clothes. There was no clothes, you know. The only yeah. person who took off clothes was in the very first scene because she was in a bathtub. So there's a little bit of reveal there. But other than that, really nothing that you could actually see. So anyway, they make this film called Blood Feast. He, Herschel Gordon Lewis, later became, I should back up here because this story is actually funny. I was working with a guy in Florida once. This company's gone now. The, the company was called Evatone. They made the flexible mm. sound sheets that used to be in like magazines and they'd usually be bound into the pages and you could pull them out and put them on your record player and whatever. Oh, wow. This floppy, you may not even know no, this. I don't. This is so gone. That sounds amazing. Yes, it was a- a, I want that. A sound sheet. <laughs> I want to open up my Hustler and there pull, you out, go. The, pull yeah. out a seven inch. Yeah, they- Ooh. Well, they didn't. They didn't do. They they weren't in those magazines. But uh, they were in everything else. Everything from National Geographic to guitar player to you know jazz is yeah. to downbeat whatever. Yeah, yeah. So they had these little flexible signs. All right. So this guy was head of marketing for this company, and we were talking one day about movies. And I mentioned uh, Herschel, and he said, "Herschel, you don't mean, you don't mean H. G. Lewis." So, yeah. <laughs> I said, "Well, he's going to be talking at a conference I'm going to on direct mail marketing." Because he's the president of the Direct Mail Marketing Association. This must have been 1980-something. Wow. And I'm thinking, oh, good. Well, here, take this book, Paul, and have it signed. And he was vomiting in his mouth as he was looking at these pictures in this book. And I said, that's the same guy. Go take that book and that, have that him sign it. unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> and he is the head of the director. And he's a dapper. I mean, if you see him, he's a dapper, dignified so guy. So he went all corporate. Yeah, oh, yeah. But he always had that. I mean, Herschel yeah, always yeah. had that. He was a really good businessman, still is. God bless Mike Vraney. He's passed away uh, a year ago, I think, or two. But uh, he owns a company, and owned a company, still, still there, by the way. And I urge you all to go there right now and do something for them. Uh, Something weird video in Seattle, which is mm. this enormous treasure trove of more than psychotronic. Is that a video store? It's no, it's a video company. Mm. And Mike and his his uh, comrades over there have spent hours restoring a lot of this footage that has, you know, if they had negatives, they went back to the inner positives and they did what they could. Oh wow! If not, they sweetened what they had. Because Dave Friedman, who was H.G. Lewis's partner at the time, bequeathed this enormous warehouse of material to Mike. He said, look, maybe we can make money from this because I can't sell it anymore. So Vrainy put it in his Something Weird catalog. And before you know it, they started selling crazy because this stuff has never been, much of it has not been seen since the day it came out. And Yeah, in that time period. Uh... Yeah. It's very rare to see Extremely. something like that from that time period. Mm -hmm. His company lives on, and uh, they're still doing great stuff. But their release of all of the Herschel Gordon Lewis of you is pretty amazing. They have restored this way better than it should ever look. It never looked this good when it was first out. <laughs> it was all shot on a, um, hmm. it was a Mitchell. Yeah. Remember Mitchells? Mm -hmm. Okay, so they shot everything on Mitchells, and... I don't even know if that company's still extant. Luckily, Herschel and Dave kept all the negatives and stuff. Mm -hmm. So they were able to go back to the originals and restore them 
to their horrid splendor. <laughs> uh, there are no Academy Award winning presentations here at all. No <laughs> acting that's going to make you go, you know, you will, you might cry because it's so brutally awful. But because of what it is, you just have to sit there. It's kind of, yeah, it's a little Ed Wood-like. I mean, it is. It's in that world. Hmm. Um, except that Ed would never, well, he did. <laughs> I was going to say he never would make a film like this. Yeah, he did. He tried to towards the end. But uh, this this stuff was way over the top. And they they tried to do things that they didn't really have the budget to do in terms of, you know, uh, practical effects. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, they they accomplish what they do. So I would recommend the, the, the trilogy. Which is Blood of... Feast, Color Me Blood Red, Mm. And uh, uh, 2000 Maniacs, I think. Is it 2000? Yeah. Do, 2000. do you have any of those? I have all of them. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> I have all of them, yes, in loving Blu-ray. Yeah, first um, time I came over here, I think I was up in your... <laughs> In your in your DVD, do you remember that? Yes, I was up in we were we, we were up in your DVD room that's for right. probably over yeah. an hour. Over an hour, yeah. It could have been more, yeah. And yeah. it's not a big room, folks. It's just that it's just, it's really jammed with this stuff, <laughs> uh, which I often get accused of. Why do you have that stuff? And I will tell, in my defense, I, I was will, just excited. I know you would be, of course, but you know, some folks who don't have our same penchant for the bizarre and macabre go up there and they look at some of those things and they go, "So you in treatment? Uh, you got a support group?" <laughs> Honestly, everything up there has a historical significance. You know, it's funny we're talking about psychotronics, <laughs> but and we kind of connected over horror yes, a lot, right? But uh, we both like actual <laughs> films too you know true we yeah. want to like yeah. talk about the horror but but really my genres are much much wider than broader that. but yeah horror is something that um i sort of discovered that i was really into yeah well i'd always liked horror films but i kind of realized that in graduate school i took this horror genres class and they just sort of give you definitions that I could kind of backtrack through my past and see how the films I had seen had affected me in a certain way wow. to bring me to that point. That's cool. And then I realized I actually really liked the genre in all of its splendor. Just mm -hmm. Butterfinger eating, popcorn chewing, yep. laughing at silly effects, being trained by certain uh, genre cliches. Some of the greatest people in history are dead. But we know where they're buried. Today, in our studio, and it's a rare privilege, is John Lennon, the late great singer-songwriter of solo and Beatles fame. 
John, you were a part of perhaps the greatest revolution in popular music. And while some would argue that the birth of bebop jazz in the 30s and 40s and rock and roll in the 50s uh, were perhaps the greatest musical events of the 20th century, this reporter would beg to differ and would inquire of you as regards the sense of moment that must have quite simply overtaken you as you and Paul and Ringo and George and George Martin found a voice that somehow combined British tavern songs, classical music, rock and roll, even jazz and R&B into a conceptual framework that utterly and irrevocably transformed the musical landscape in a manner that assured the continuing evolution of musical form for the next hundred years. Your thoughts, sir. Interview with the dead. So if you've been listening to uh, Fusebox for um, the past several shows, the name Jeff Pollard will not be unfamiliar to you. If this is your first occasion to hear this program, Jeff is a friend of mine who is uh, also an actor, a, a voice actor as well, and a very renowned graphic artist and branding kind of guy, and uh, has done some pretty remarkable work out there. Uh, in addition to the, well, rather insignificant in the bigger scope, but I think it's cool, the, uh, the look for uh, this program actually, Fuseboxed, a little iconographic thing here. Uh, Jeff designed that, as well as the personal mark for this guy named Tiger Woods. I don't know. He's badminton player. I don't know what it is. But anyway, that guy. And he's done some very cool stuff. And so I, you know, I would urge you to kind of trot over there and check out his, his stuff. It's, it's very cool. Pollard, P-O-L-L-A-R-D, design.com is that address. And uh, one of Jeff's friends who has uh, become one of my friends as well is uh, a gentleman by the name of Kelly Baker. Uh, Kelly is also known as the angry filmmaker. Um, and in addition to being that filmmaker, he's also an author and uh, a rather renowned sound designer who's worked on films like uh, Goodwill Hunting, Finding Forrester, the Todd Haynes film Far From Heaven, among others, and uh, as well as his own independent films. And uh, so uh, Jeff and Kelly and I got together the other day and just decided to, again, just push record and see what happens. Worst that can happen is that we're going to laugh ourselves silly, but uh, I will have an extended excerpt of that conversation, probably a couple of them because we were all over the map that day. Some very interesting stuff came up in that. Since we're kind of on the psychotronic topic here, uh, one of the things that came up was an anecdote about uh, Lloyd Kaufman, if you if you know Troma Pictures. And uh, this was kind of an interesting bit. So uh, here's Jeff Pollard and Kelly Baker and yours truly. Uh, I was on a panel once, a couple of times, with um, uh, what's his name from Troma? Lloyd Kaufman. Oh, yes. I know. I actually have had the pleasure of meeting Lloyd. I love Lloyd. <laughs> yes. He makes me laugh. Yes. Now, we did a musical version of Toxic Avenger in this town. No wonder you know Lloyd. Yes, Lloyd came down and said, "You know what? Your music is better than my movie. I love you. Goodbye." And that, you know, and that's uh, Lloyd. Yes, Lloyd. He was a cool guy. 
Where's the saddle shoes? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, he wears saddle shoes. And, and people think, like, he's just this. I mean, and for 10 years, at least 10 years, he's been talking about net neutrality. Wow. And, and concerned about, I mean, you know, but people say, oh, he's kind of a goofball and they make these really, really shitty movies. He's got a degree in Japanese literature from Yale. From I mean, Yale. From, I mean, he's a really, really smart dude. He plays the, the, yeah, he the, does. the, the his yeah. part really, really well. Yeah. I love him. He, like I said, we've, we've had, been on a couple of panels together and I always get to sit next to him, uh. which is, is great in that he cracks me up. What I hate is when I have to follow him on the panel. Oh, forget it. Because he, he brings a whole lot, he gets a whole lines and stitches. <laughs> <laughs> right, and then it's like, okay, Kelly. Yeah, it's like, oh fuck. Yeah, no, thank you. Right. You know, thanks. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. at one point I called him on it. At one point, you know, the, the moderator asked a question, and you know, they always seemed to start with Lloyd, and I can see them looking down there, and I said, stop it right here, hold it, <laughs> and everybody looked at me, and everybody in the panelist, and I said. Why do you keep going to fucking Lloyd first? <laughs> He's yeah. funnier than the rest of us. Mm-hmm. I have to follow him, and I'm dying up here. <laughs> Can you go with somebody before you go with Lloyd? And Lloyd reaches over, pats me on the back, and says, It's okay, Kelly. The panel will be over soon. And he brings the fucking house down. <laughs> oh, oh, geez. God. Yeah. But I do. I, I, he's a wonderful, wonderful guy and a really smart guy. He is. Again, he's kickstarted a lot of people, too. He has. He has. And he's real generous with his time. I mean, yeah. His, well, he's not generous with his money. No. But that, you, you can be expected. <laughs> That's Lloyd. It, yeah. He's, no. No. There's a bottom line in everything yeah. Lloyd does. That's fine. Yeah. That's great. But I also love the, the, the deal, you know, the, uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker have, have never said anything but the highest mm-hmm. things about him because he, I guess to this day... Is the is the uh, distributor of the Cannibal the Musical thing? Right. They still distribute through him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I've got a bunch of friends who distribute through him. That's great. And and you know, one of the things that I can say from from what they've told me is he, you know, they're honest as all Completely. hell. Completely. You know, he's really above board, and you don't get that with distributors. You don't get that with distributors. No, That's why I self-distribute all my own stuff. If I'm going to screw myself, I know that I'm doing it. <laughs> At least you're going to go out to dinner first. You well, know, and that. the whole thing is, it's like you know. When I take advantage of myself, it's like I've got to be really, really stupid to not realize what's going on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, Absolutely. wait a minute. Why did I just sign that with myself? Yeah, that's not good. That's not. What good am I deal. trying to do to me? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who do who, I think I am? Who am me anyway? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so indeed, we will have uh, much, much more with uh, Jeff and Kelly in the uh, in future shows, and uh, uh, and also further information about Kelly's work can be found at angryfilmmaker.com. And uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff there for you. And uh, in, in addition to a documentary he's been working on for a while on uh, the life of Kay Boyle, who was a very interesting person and uh, would warrant an inspection. So uh, angryfilmmaker.com. 911, what is the nature of your emergency? Uh... Some someone's breaking into my uh, my apartment. Are you sure, sir? Uh, yes, I'm sure. Someone is hacking at my door with an axe or something. Sir, I need to inform you that due to tax cuts and general cost-cutting measures, we are vetting all of our 911 calls for hoaxes and other types of false calls. There's a crazy person breaking into my apartment. Okay. Do you know this person? Why would that? No! Do you have any reason to believe that someone would want to do you harm? He's getting in. I'm, I'm locked.
unlocking my bedroom door. Please send the police. Do you have a gun, sir? No, no, I don't have a gun. You should keep a gun in your home, please sir. Please send the police. He's, I, I'm locked in the bathroom. There's, there's no window. I can't. Would you like me to pray with you, sir? I'm calling the cops, okay? Please, just send the police. What's your name, sir? Ah, Thomas Jenkins. Heavenly Father. Oh my God! He's, he's in! He's calling! God, please, please, why, why, why? Hi, I'm Senator Michael Trowell. Thanks to cost-cutting measures that have allowed us to cut your taxes, those of you that are able to protect yourselves by owning and using handguns will be able to rest a little easier knowing that your hard-earned money won't be wasted on government excess. That's why I'm asking for your vote in November. Paid for by the campaign to re-elect Thomas Trowell to the United States Senate. <laughs> And so, gentle listeners, I think that's going to do it for this edition of Fuse Box. I have been uh, your host, Mark Rose, for the seventh excursion into the realms of odds and endsnessment. Big thanks to Kelly Baker, Danny Gosser, and Jeff Pollard, of course, for their contributions on said program. Thanks uh, as well to you for pushing play on this optional entertainment offering. And until we meet again on our next cartoon. Cartoon.